Well, before we, well, turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. I do want to make this one announcement. George and Jackie Robertson are in the balcony. We want to express our love to them. And I know George will be mad at me for uh, acknowledging that he's here, but I don't work for him anymore. I want, you know, they're up there. They thought they could sneak in. Caroline's down here. Hi, Caroline. And uh, I guess they're fighting as a family, but they're up there. Make sure you express your love to them when, we, when you leave here today. If you're new to us, we've been working through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And if you remember, we've tried to review this several times, but chapters 1 through 3 deal with who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, the indicatives of the gospel, that we were enemies of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ made us alive in him. And now we are part of the family of God. We've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled to one another, people of every tribe and tongue and nation, the one body of Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 describe all of that. Then chapters 4 through 6 make a transition where Paul says, in light of who you are in Jesus Christ, here's how you now live worthy of your calling. You no longer live as the Gentiles do, the, the non-Christians do. You live now as imitators of God. You walk worthy of the calling you have received to be children of God, part of the family of God. And now in chapter 5, as some would say, Paul goes from preaching to meddling because he's going to start saying how the gospel starts to knead its way into our lives how we start to see how the gospel of Christ impacts families, how the gospel of Christ impacts work relationships, how the, impact, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms our view of men and women and marriage. Remember, Paul is writing to a very pagan culture. The church at Ephesus was, trying, was being called by God to be light in the midst of a very dark place. But before we read the text and before we dive in a little bit today on what it looks like to have Christian or biblical marriages, and the spotlight today comes on the man, I want you to know this. The point of Ephesians is not marriage. The point of Ephesians is Jesus Christ. Marriage is not the ultimate. So whether you're single today or divorced today or longing to be married or in a marriage that is not what you would love for it to be, the point of life and the point of the Bible and the point of Paul's letter to Ephesians is not marriage. It's the fulfillment we find in Jesus Christ and how that spills over into every part of our lives. I know for some of you that to to have a series where we stop and focus on marriage brings up a lot of PTSD in your lives. Some of you live today with profound sadness or regret or unmet longings. You feel the disappointment of your own shortcomings or those who've sinned against you. 
But what we're going to talk about today applies to every person, whether you're married or not, because the spotlight, while it may be applying to husband and wife, in particular the husband's role, what God expects the, the husband to be in the marriage, while that's the main point of this today, what's behind all of that is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was presented to us in chapters 1 through 3. And if you have the Savior, your life is sufficient. You have the prize, Jesus, even if you don't have the marriage that you want. All that to say, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin reading at verse 25. As soon as I can find my glasses in my pocket. Okay, there they are. Listen to God's word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now capture our hearts and minds, our affections, our wills, to live in conformity with the grace that you have extended to us in Jesus Christ. May we make much of Jesus today, even as we see the role that you've called husbands to in marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Heron spoke about the first part of Paul's text, the expectations for the wives in the context of marriage. And now Paul shines the spotlight on the man, on the husband. And what you'll see is that the bar has been raised. The, the focus is way more intense for the husband. I presume it's because men have a whole lot more that we have to work on in the marriage than, than women do. But the the call to the husband is, is far more demanding, actually. Whereas the wife does have a role in which she's supposed to submit as unto the Lord, the husband, Christ is the standard. The husband is supposed to love as Christ loves the church. And it's a, an impossible standard, ultimately. And yet it's what we've been called to in Christ we all want to believe that we are good husbands. We want to believe that we're, in fact, I had somebody jokingly come up today and say, if you need a model, somebody to stand up front and show what the good husband is, I'll be glad to do that. Uh, that's because men are full of themselves, right? We, we like to think that we're good husbands. Uh, we also like to think that we're good handymen. We know where that has led us, right? We like to think that we're day traders. We're not. We like to think that we're good athletes. We're not that either. We like to think that we are pretty good at marriage, but there's a lot more emphasis here on the man. 
because I think the man needs a lot more help. We want to be good husbands. In fact, some are doing some pretty amazing things to be that role of a husband. I won't give his full name, but his name is Marcus, and he's married to Vanessa, and I want to, I want to protect his identity. But do you know what he just did for his 25th wedding anniversary? They went back to their hometown in Arkansas, and they recommitted and did their vows. There were original members of the wedding party there, and the original minister was there, and he surprised Vanessa with this whole thing. And then, if that wasn't enough, he takes her to, what was it, uh, Cabo San Lucas on a 25th anniversary trip. Now, we men sort of admire Marcus and also detest him at the same time. (laughs) As my calculation's right, I've been married 21 and a half years. I'm just hoping that in three and a half years, Aaron will forget that Marcus ever did that. So don't, don't tell her. But even though some of us are really great husbands... And we want to be great husbands. The bar is incredibly high. The bar is that we love like Christ loved. And while Marcus may be a great husband, he's not the perfect husband. The perfect husband is Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 54, uh, God says to the people, or Isaiah says to the people that their maker is their husband, that God himself is the husband. And then Christ comes along, and he is seen in the Gospels as the groom, and his bride is the church. And in Revelation 19, we see the the, the culmination, the grand marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus Christ, the true groom, is reunited to his bride, the church. The standard, Paul says, is Jesus And here's just what I want you to see this morning. If we really are to be the husbands that God has called us to be, we have to look at Christ. We have to love like Christ, rather. We have to see his pattern and love like he loves. But in order to do that, as you'll see secondly, we have to look to Christ because we do not have in ourselves as men what it takes to love like he loves Paul tells us here that we are to love as Christ loves the church. Now, we have to ask this question. Why was it necessary for Paul to say this? Well, because as we've talked about it, in Ephesus, a very pagan culture, there was the the temple of Diana, the, the worship of Diana and Artemis, this great wonder of the world, and part of the worship was prostitution. There was a very low view of women. Women were property. There was an over-sexualized culture that saw women as a means to an end, the pleasure of men or procreation at best. There were really no other rights or privileges to be women. They were second-class citizens. And so, as women were only good for satisfying the whims of men, Paul is going to dignify the role of women here and call men to the standard of loving Christ. And as I look at my own besetting sins in marriage and as a father, I know it can be towards dominance. I know that I can come across as oppressive and critical and harsh I know that I can look at marriage and ask the question, what's in it for me? And what Paul is going to say 
to us as the only way to love like we're supposed to love is if we look at Christ, love like Christ, and look to Christ. It's an incredibly high bar. Did you notice in the text three times it says, just as, and in the same way, and just as, Christ, He's the standard. And God's glorious love and plan and service for His church is the model for how we love our wives. All that's by way of introduction. Under these two main ideas, I want you to see, first of all, what it looks like to love like Christ. And one of the ladies in the office today, uh, last week, said, you have five sub-points. Are you crazy? And I said, I won't take long on them. I only have two points, but five on this one. But here we go. First, I want you to see it's a sacrificial love. Scotty Smith says this, a friend of ours in this church, many of you know Scotty well. He says that the the, the image for the man, as he thinks about marriage, the image for the man is the cross, not the crown. Isn't that great? The image that should come to your mind as you say, I'm a husband, is the cross, sacrifice, laying down your life, losing all that Christ did for us. The image we should have is a cross, not a crown, one in which we rule and people are there to serve us. The image that should come to mind is a cross. That's just what Christ did. He gave himself up. He didn't consider his own life and possessions and, and, and power seated at the right hand of the Father to be his own. He laid that aside to become human and take up a cross and die for us. Sacrifice was on the mind of Jesus and so sacrifice must become our mindset, too, as men. So a husband says, in viewing Jesus, I'm willing to do without my rights. I'm willing to forego my resources. I'm willing to forego my desires. I'm willing to forego my time. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to lose. I, I, I'm, on behalf of my wife... I want to do what Christ did for me. It's a sacrificial love. Secondly, it's a sanctifying love. Did you see the glorious picture that Paul describes that Christ has in mind for the church? Let's look at it again. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And then one day, he's going to present his bride to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's talking about the glorification where Christ, as we have been united to him now, and we bear his image. Christ is more and more conforming us to his image by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are becoming more and more beautiful like Jesus as Christ works himself in us. That's the glorious plan for the church, to sanctify her. So what's the, the mindset then of the husband? First of all, he's not to be the Holy Spirit in her life. He's not the sin police that walks around looking for all the ways the wife falls short and to, and to tell her how bad she is. No, it's, it's completely different. The husband is supposed to sanctify the wife by bringing her to the sanctifier. The husband is to see the wife 
fulfilled in her glorious potential and willing to lay down his life to make sure she becomes more and more like Jesus. Not because it's his role to do so, but it's his role to lead her to the fountain of life, to Jesus Christ. It means, men, that we lead in the home by bringing our spouses and our children to Jesus, pointing them to the Savior we desperately need. It means that we lead by bringing our family to worship, sitting under the preaching of the Word, sitting under the sacraments, God's means of grace by which He strengthens us. It's our job to lead because one day we're going to present our wives to Jesus as stewards and our children, by the way, and we're going to say, here's what I've done with those you've entrusted to my care. What a glorious role. We're making our brides ready for their true groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it's a serving love. Paul gives this analogy. We're supposed to nourish and cherish our wives like Christ has nourished and cherished us. It's a motherly term of taking care of all of their needs to see that they prosper, to see that they feel loved and cared for, to see that they lack nothing within our means to be able to serve in that way. Christ's mindset was, how do I serve the church? How do I give myself? How do I nourish my bride? How do I care for my church? And so Christ gives us the means of grace to make sure that we are strengthened in him. And here it is. Husbands are now to love their wives as they love their own body. You know, we became the body of Christ. And so for Christ to nourish us is the mindset that we as husbands have when we nourish our wives. We're taking care of our own bodies. We're the one flesh union. We are part of the body of Christ, and now our wives are part of our one flesh union. And so we nurture and nourish our wives. And in doing so, it's nourishing to us because we're so vitally connected to one another. Loving your wife, men, is loving yourself. So the question we ask then is, how do I best meet her needs? Actively thinking daily by God's grace. How do I meet her needs emotionally, physically, spiritually? I want to nourish as I have been nourished by Christ. Fourthly, it's a selfless love. You notice that all that Christ did for us, in all of it, he never asked the question, what's in it for me? Christ left the glorious riches of heaven. He came down and took on human flesh, and he did so for us. Christ washed his disciples' feet and served them. He took the lowest role of a servant, and he did so for them. All of this, all Christ Christ got in the deal was us. That's not a very good deal. But he did it for us because he has a selfless heart. The the selfless husband has the wife's needs and longings in mind. He's not asking the question, what's in it for me? And as I look at my own life, I am profoundly selfish. 
And sometimes when I pout or give Aaron the cold shoulder or am just angry, it's because I feel like in some way I'm not getting what's due me. And I just don't see that in Jesus. When's the last time we as men did something for our wives with no strings attached, not thinking maybe we'll get something in return, but just to serve selflessly because that's how Jesus is with us. It is a selfless love. You know, when you look at The Bachelor, is that show still on? I just don't see these things in The Bachelor. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love, serving love, selfless love. Have you ever seen a bachelor say, here's what I'm in the show for, right? I want to find someone I can sacrifice for and sanctify and, and serve and, and be selfless. It's so countercultural, isn't it? And yet it's Christ. It's what he would do. The last one here is a secure love. When we love like Christ, it's a secure love. Because people who are selfless and sacrificial and look to the sanctifying of their wives and who are selfless, that produces in a spouse security. It makes them feel safe to know this person's not going anywhere. When you think about Jesus and his bride, we slept around, we never listened to him, we disown him, we worship other uh, lovers, we, uh, we smell like our sin when we come home. You know, you look at Ezekiel 16, you look at Hosea, and you, you see the bride of Christ is a prostitute, completely unfaithful to Jesus. And yet, Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Please hear what, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are times when marriages are irreconcilable, where the hurt and the damage mean that divorce is a necessary option. I'm not saying that there's never a reason why the marriage shouldn't split. But what I am saying is that when I look at Jesus, his mercy and his love compel us to stick with marriage through good and bad. It means that the husband can't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I want a new model. I want somebody who's going to treat me the way I'm supposed to be treated. The girl at work, she understands me. The love of Jesus doesn't give us that option. It's a secure love. And so the husband makes the wife feel safe. The husband doesn't do anything to make her insecure. He doesn't manipulate he doesn't withdraw himself or her love. He doesn't threaten. I've heard stories over the years of, of gaslighting in which, which a man, and there's been ladies in this church who've suffered this, the, the horrible idea that a man will make a woman feel like she's crazy by how he manipulates and abuses her. It's wicked. It's not like Jesus can I just make this application before I move on to the second point? If you are single today, wanting to be married, and ladies in particular, when you think about the man that you are praying that God will bring into your life, I don't think it's, well, he comes from a good family. 
He's got a really good job. They're wealthy. He makes me laugh. We'll go on great trips together. He's really good looking. I think you need to be asking the question, is he selfless? Does he make me secure? Is he a sacrificial person? Is his goal in the marriage to make me, to help me become more like Jesus? Is he like Christ? Well, secondly, not only do we love like Christ, but in order to love like Christ, as I mentioned at the beginning, we have to look to Christ. This is what Paul is doing here. And when when you see what it means to look at Christ or look to Christ, you see him as your example, you see him as your enabler, and you see him as your encouragement. Just quickly, let's go through those. What does it mean to look at Christ as your example? It means that as you men deal with your wives, as you men deal with your future wives, you look at Christ and say, if Christ loved like that, then I want to love like that too. How did Christ treat people? Very practically, how did Jesus interact with people? You model your treatment of others Whether you're married or not, you model your treatment of others as your Savior treated people. And then when you look at Christ, you are motivated to love like Christ loved. So, your wife's being completely uh, rude to you one day, completely unloving to you. And the, the idea would be that you would want to react to that instead of responding like Christ. But you look at Christ and you go, I treated Jesus so much worse than this. Christ is my example. I want to love like I've been loved. When your wife withholds love for you, you say, Christ, he knows what it's like to have love been withheld from him. When you feel betrayed, when you feel used, You look at Jesus and say, if he can love me like that, then I can certainly love my wife like that. One thing I often think is, there's no sin debt that Aaron could build up with me that comes close to the sin debt I have with Jesus. And he forgave me all of it. How can I not love in that way. He is our example. Secondly, he's our enabler. You see, one of the reasons marriage is so difficult is because we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil who attacks marriage. We battle our own sinful hearts. We battle our own flesh. And we do not have in ourselves what it takes to love like Jesus loved. But Christ here is our enabler. When Jesus left, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind you of me, and he will point to me, and he will strengthen you in me. And Christ gave us the Holy Spirit of God, which is the, 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 the ongoing presence of Jesus in us for daily living. Christ is our enabler. When we look at Christ, when we draw strength from Christ, we are enabled, we are empowered to love as Christ loved. He's our enabler. And then thirdly, here's the best part of the whole sermon, so wake up at this point. 
He's our encourager. When you look at yourself today, and some of you are thinking, oh, that sounds really good. I want to love my wife like that, but I'm a train wreck. Join the club. Some of you are sitting here today and you're feeling such regret and shame and disappointment. Some of you are in a marriage, wives who are going, if only God would give me that. Whenever we talk about marriage, it can bring profound discouragement or regret, disappointment. And yet what Paul's saying here is don't forget the way you've been loved in Christ. Are you a failure today? Christ loves you. Are you lonely today? You have Christ as your encouragement. That's what chapters 1 through 3, they, they laid this foundation for us. Are you feeling guilt and shame today? Christ is your healer. He's your forgiver. Are you disappointed and wishing that thing, your circumstances were, in your marriage were completely different? Christ is sufficient. Have you been betrayed in your marriage? Christ knows what it is to be betrayed, uh, betrayed and he is with you. You see what Paul is having us do? He's having men look at Christ. He is the example for your marriage. But all of you look to Christ because you've been loved with an everlasting love. Who needs to hear this today? Everybody. The dismayed, the lonely, the guilty, the rejected, the broken, those with shattered dreams. You have to look at Christ and see and never forget what Christ has done for you and all of a sudden you'll know, I lack nothing. Now, we love the stories and we honor the men. And two come to mind, Robertson McQuilkin, who was the president of Columbia International University, who resigned his position many years ago to take care of his wife all the way to her death, who had Alzheimer's. It's a beautiful story of what it means to love sacrificially and selflessly and with a sanctifying love to give his life for his bride. It's a beautiful story. Another one of those people is Kurt Cloninger. Some of you will know the name Kurt Cloninger. He actually was here a long time ago. He does stand-up monologues. He's an actor, a Christian actor. He's a brilliant guy, lives in Atlanta, and a few years ago, I had an opportunity to connect with him again at the EDGE conference when he spoke to our students. Well, Kurt's son had uh, recently passed away, a son that had had a very rebellious and, and rough prodigal life, but in, in later years, he came to Christ gloriously saved, and he was sharing the beauty of that, and then he also shared that his wife, Tish, had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. As he shared his story, and he's written a story, I've seen it not that long ago, I think it's called The Forgetful Bride, uh, My Forgetful Bride. But he says that he was on a trip to Ireland, and he was going to do uh, speaking, but he brought Tish with him, and Tish was already starting to drift away and being very forgetful, and they were driving through the beautiful Irish coast, and uh, she looked over him at him in the car one day and said, I'm not sure I know who you are. 
said you could feel the ache of that. He pulled over, he looked at her in the eyes, he could tell she wasn't joking. I had to remind her I was her husband, the forgetful bride. When he got to this one conference in Ireland, he did a few of his acting monologues, and then uh, on the last night, the students said they wanted to pray for him. And Tish had already gone back to the room. She was, she was exhausted. And uh, so the students all and the leaders laid hands on Kurt Cloninger. And he said that uh, they prayed for him. And one girl, the way he says it, then a young Irish woman prayed. She prayed simply. He said, I can still hear in my head the melodious timbre of her Irish accent. She prayed quietly, Lord Jesus, you know what it's like to have a forgetful bride. And that was it. He said, I laughed my way through my tears. This young Irish student probably knew how, no idea how prophetic her prayer was. But I was reminded powerfully that Jesus knew, of course, better than me what to do with a forgetful bride. Love her. I was reminded that I, with all my doubts and wonderings and impatience, was his forgetful bride. And he loved me. He simply loved me. Kurt Conger goes on to say that as she has continued to digress, one day they were at home, and, or no, at a mountainside restaurant. They had just had lunch, and she looked at him quizzically, and she said, you're my dad, right? <laughs> he said, uh, I gave her my standard reply because she asked this often. I said, nope, your dad's been dead for 10 years and I'm a whole lot better looking than your dad ever was. She laughed and went to pet the dog. I close with this. So he says, the days are getting very interesting for me. I wait with great anticipation and joy the soon birth of my first grandbaby to our sweet Lily and her marvelous ridge. God only knows what life with my forgetful bride will look like in the coming days. But I know that as his forgetful bride, Jesus will keep on loving me. I will pray to do the same to all those dear to me, especially my forgetful bride. The reason men can love their wives securely and sacrificially and sanctifyingly and, and with a servant's heart is because Christ has loved us that way and will love us to the end. And no matter where you are today in your life or marriage, Christ loves you, his forgetful bride, and he always will. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we are thankful for our Savior Jesus who loved us with an everlasting love. We pray that love would make us faithful to love as we have been loved. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, children to parents, parents to children, church members as part of the family of God. May we love as we've been loved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.